What do you want? This is a really important question, even though we're faced with it all the time. What do you want? It could be about simple things, like where do you want to eat after church today? What do you want to do this afternoon? What do you want for Christmas? Or it could be about bigger things. What kind of career do you want? How do you want to spend your retirement? How do you want to raise your children? What kind of person do you want to become? What do you want? Making sense of this question is trickier than you might think. Because, you know, we have so many wants. Sometimes we don't even know what we want. And most of the time, our wants are a big, mixed bag. I want to be in shape. I don't want to exercise. I want to be well-rested. I want to stay up late. I want to spend time with my children. I want to be alone right now. Navigating this question is difficult. What do I want? I'm currently leading a small group through the book of James, but it's not your typical Bible study because it's less about uh, teaching the content of James and more about reflecting upon what the Spirit might be saying to each one of us through this book. And so last week, we gave careful attention to the opening lines of James 4, which says this, Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from the cravings that are at war within you? You want something, and you do not have it, so you fight. I've been sitting with these words all week, asking God to help me pay closer attention to my wants, these cravings that are at war within me. Which wants are the ones I want, and which wants are the ones I don't want? Well, I'm discovering that finding clarity and conviction on this question is an extremely difficult process. What do I want? What do you want? Such an important question. Well, over the last few weeks, though you might not have realized, this has actually been the question at the center of our conversation. I mean, yes, yes, I know we've been talking about stewardship, which for many is a a once-a-year kind of conversation, a time when we take inventory of our lives to make sure that God gets his due of our stuff, our time, talent, and treasure. This, we gather, is the essence of stewardship. But I'm here to tell you this morning that if this is how you've been processing these last few weeks, if, if this represents your take on stewardship, then you've missed the boat completely. Because stewardship at its core is about this question, what do you want? Because stewardship is really about your heart. It's about the aim and direction of your life. God has given you all these things, your life, your breath, your table, your church family, your time and talent. What do you want to do with these things? How do you want to put them to use? What is it that you want? And if you don't have clarity on this question, if if your heart isn't directing this 
cacophony of cravings within you, this, this war of wants, then none of us will be the shrewd stewards for the kingdom of God that we're called to be. Because stewardship is all about the heart. It's all about what we want. And the thing is, wants aren't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's not wrong to want. Rather, our wants are what direct our lives, right? I mean, you could say that our wants, uh, that our wants are to our lives what the winds are to a sailboat. You can't get anywhere without them. But if we don't control these winds, if we don't make sure our hearts are pointed in the right direction, we will be tossed here and there back and forth like a ship without a rudder pushed whichever way the winds of our wants happen to be blowing at the time. And so that's what we need. We need a rudder, a rudder that will move our lives in the right direction, something that will harness the wind's power, align the wants in our hearts so that we might faithfully steward our lives for the kingdom of God. And so how might we do this? What is one of the keys to getting our rudder down, to to harnessing that wind, to forming the wants within our hearts for the kingdom of God? Well, this is where the words of Jesus from our gospel passage today come into play. Words, I believe, that will ultimately surprise us. Because according to Jesus, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also your wants, right? I think this is one of the most profound statements Jesus ever made. With this one statement, Jesus teaches us that there is this deep spiritual connection between your heart, that is your wants, and your wallet. Did you ever think about that? That our, our income, our savings account, our, our spending habits, these are deeply spiritual in nature. That there is this spiritual connection between our hearts and our wallets. And I think this connection operates in two different ways. The first way this connection works is, is kind of like a, a thermometer. Because it tells you what is. I mean, if you want to get a quick read on your heart, your wallet is your thermometer. In other words, if you want to know whether the rudder of your heart is down or whether your life is adrift, then Jesus says you need to examine your expense sheets, your spending habits. Where does your money go? If you were to look over your credit or debit card statements, what, what would stand out? Are your purchases all over the map? No rhyme or reason, just reactions to the changing winds of your wants? Or are they intentional, responsible, and full of charity? Jesus wants us to know that how we spend our money is one of the most accurate measures of our hearts. It tells us, whether we are living as shrewd stewards of the kingdom or if we're falling short. And the thing is, this thermometer works well whether you have a lot of money or or whether you have just a little because it's true for all people. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. 
What then does your thermometer read? What does it say? My hunch is that our thermometer readings will show that we all have a long way to go in this area. And of course, much of this is because we all swim in the waters of a, a consumeristic culture. We know that. We forget it sometimes. We forget that we are bombarded with advertising aimed directly at our hearts, enticing us to, to want things we didn't even know we needed or didn't even know we wanted. The latest gadget, the newest vehicle, the most modern look. And so we so easily get lured in. I think this is also why we have a hard time talking with one another about our money. Because it can be so revealing, can't it? And so instead we say to ourselves, well, I don't think I'm going to be sharing my spending habits with those closest to me. I'm not telling you my annual salary. This is private information. My money, my business. I mean, most of us don't even want our ministers to know our giving habits much less our, our family budget and things like that. But when you actually think about it, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? That even though Jesus directly connects our treasure and our hearts, right, we still hold back. We don't want others to know. So perhaps this is, this is something we should reconsider. I mean, since the church is in the business of spiritual formation, perhaps we, perhaps we should be more transparent about our spending habits. Perhaps we, we should be more transparent with our incomes and giving practices. Not to embarrass, not to put anyone down, and certainly not to put anyone on a pedestal, but so that we might become better stewards for the kingdom of God. Right? And of course, this now leads us to the second way that this connection between our hearts and our wallets operates. It not, only, it not only works like a thermometer, but it also works like a thermostat. It seems that how you use your wallet doesn't just reveal something about you, doesn't just reveal something about your heart, it does something to your heart as well, for, for good or for bad. I mean, we know this because Jesus is pretty intentional about giving directions about how you use your money for your own spiritual good. He gives, in this passage, some pretty clear instructions, doesn't he? Sell your possessions. Give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven. In other words, be generous with your treasure on earth and you will reap a heavenly reward. No, not in the sense that you can buy your way into heaven, but in the sense that you will be enriched in this life in so many different ways by your generosity. What you do with your money comes back to you to form your heart. That's definitely the feel that we get from our reading from 2 Corinthians today. I'm going to listen again to some of what Paul says. He says, when you sow bountifully, you will also reap bountifully. And when you make up your mind to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but as a cheerful giver, then God is able to provide you with every kind of blessing in abundance, right? Again, there is this spiritual, deep spiritual connection between your heart and your wallet, so much so that when you loosen your grip on your wallet, when you 
Live generously toward those around you. When your financial behavior runs counter to our consumeristic culture, oh my goodness, that's when God opens the windows of heaven and pours down on our hearts an overflow of blessing. And I'm not talking about giving a thousand so that one day you may receive ten. I'm talking about giving generously so that God may have his way with you, so that he may have his way with your heart, so that your heart might be set free from the worries that beset our world, that beset so many people, that your heart may be set free from the anxieties that plague so many people. So that, as Paul says, you may be enriched in every way. This is good news. I mean, I, I really do. I think this is incredible that, that your wallet can be a sort of thermostat, that you can control the temperature of your heart by what you do with your money. And God has given us this powerful tool that opens up space for the Spirit to work in our lives like nothing else can through something that is extremely tangible, something that is extremely practical, how we use our money. I mean, let me ask you, do you want the presence of God to flood into your life? Do you want the power of the Spirit to flow through you in ways you've never experienced before? Do you want the person of Jesus to be as real to you as the human sitting beside you now? If so, then one of the most powerful ways you can do this is with your treasure, with what you do with your money. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, as we close this morning, let, let's, uh, let's get practical and, and talk about some small but meaningful steps we can take that will allow God to form our hearts slowly and over time. Because really that's how it works. Because this kind of change on our hearts, that really doesn't occur through one-time grandiose gestures of generosity. I mean, if you want to give a million dollars to our new building, that's fine. But... But if you want to see deep, sustainable change in your heart, it's going to be the little things over the long haul. Things like creating a, a monthly budget and sticking to it. It's amazing to me how many folks don't do this. Because this is such a critical step no matter what your income is, whether you make a lot or a little. Every family, every single person Every empty nester couple, through prayer and thoughtful conversation, can establish a monthly budget and stick to it. And I promise you, by taking this simple step, it will radically change your heart. It's one of the best ways you can keep that rudder down when those cravings start blowing across the bow of your life. Just creating and keeping to a budget. Another important step would be to place parameters on your spending habits. To be aware that we are constantly being groomed by our culture to consume. 
And if we don't push against our propensity to purchase and purchase and purchase, well, our hearts are in trouble. Lots of things you could do. Perhaps, perhaps you could take a few weeks off from purchasing things beyond your own necessities. See what you learn by doing that. Or maybe you can fast for a month from online purchases and watch what that does to your heart. Or maybe you can set an amount that you will not spend on something unless you've given it a few weeks of prayer and conversation with others. I mean, lots of things that you can do, but whatever it is, placing parameters on your spending is going to open up a lot of space for the Spirit to begin to work on you, right? What a, what a tool. And then last, but certainly not least, I would encourage you to practice generosity. Learn to loosen the grip on money by giving more and more of it away. I was taught early in life by my parents, even when my weekly allowance was $10, to give 10% to the church as modeled by the Old Testament concept of tithing. And I am so grateful that I formed this habit early as a teenager because it has become baked into the regular financial practices of our family. And then later, I was encouraged to to find ways to give above and beyond what I gave to the church, to other organizations or needs that might come up. And then over time, again, encouraged to, to look for ways to increase all these percentages of giving. And again, this has been a practice that has returned all sorts of heavenly dividends into my life. Now, I know that that, that your journey of giving generously does not have to look like mine. The percentages will look differently from family to family, but the point is to develop habits that will grow. Start somewhere and then give regularly, sacrificially, and please, always with joy and never out of guilt. And I have found that if you take this route, if you learn to loosen your grip on money and possessions, then God's grip on your heart will only tighten, and your wants will become his wants, and you will become more and more like Jesus through something as tangible and simple as money. There's that connection there. You know, as a pastor, I have personally witnessed these small steps over time create drastic changes in the spiritual lives of Christians. All of us in this room, no matter where we are financially, we have this incredible opportunity through the use of our wallets to deepen our lives with God. So do not be afraid, Jesus says, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Lord, have mercy upon us. Amen.